Well, as we uh, progress into Corinthians, we, we find ourselves now today at verses 4 through 9, which Lori read for us just a minute ago. We're going to encounter some neat things during, during these, uh, these words, this passage here. And surprisingly, it's really rich. There's a lot happening. And as is always the case with Scripture, when you dive in and you begin to unpack it and to explore it and to see what's there... It, it differentiates itself, it, it shows how it's special as opposed to just secular literature or a great novel or a great book or a great poem. What the Holy Scriptures do is demonstrate that there is richness. And the reason is these are God's words with human accent. These are the, the ruah, the spoken, the breathed word of God. Yes, yeah, sit over there because when I spit, it doesn't reach you on that side. It just gets right here. Cool. It's the breathed word of God. And what that means is Paul and Sosthenes were not writing just their own thoughts. These were the thoughts of God through their accent and onto paper. And what's brilliant about it is the deeper you dig and the more you understand, um, the deeper it itself gets. Excuse me. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Let me read that for you one more time, and I want you to listen for a few themes as we do so. There's three themes we're going to engage today during the course of our study. The first is going to be that thankfulness is a key attribute of the Christian character. So listen for thankfulness and how that might play out as a part, not just of their behavior, but of their character. The second thing, God gave grace to and thoroughly equipped His church for the mission ahead. So listen for this concept of being equipped, uh, being empowered, and the fact that there's a mission that, that's out there ahead uh, for the Corinthians and, and by virtue for us as Americans. And then thirdly, he has called us to a spiritual mission. Uh, so listen for, for that uh, terminology, listen for those words as we go. So here we go, uh, verses 4 through 9. By the way, how many of you have taken me up on the challenge to come with a physical Bible? This is your opportunity to be like teacher's pet. Neener, neener. There you go. Uh, those people who are around you, they're the good people, right? They got their... Um, I, I want to challenge you, though. There's something nice about being able to hold it in your hand and make little notes and come back to it years later and remember something. Um, there, there's no new thought coming from Shannon. Can I make that clear? I study a lot, maybe too much, but the fun of it is that I get to learn from all these brilliant people who came before me and then stand here and sound brilliant. All right? uh, but what you get to do now, take some of these notes and then you can look back on it years later and the, the, the wisdom that came from those who've come before us can be on the page and remind you of some of the beauty of what's in here. First Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Jesus Christ, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's start to look through these, <clears throat> these things that we've encountered. First of all, Thankfulness is a key attribute of the Christian character. Thankfulness is a key attribute of the Christian. Guys, I'm dead up here. I don't know what is going on, but I'm not getting communication back and forth. So thankfulness is a key attribute of the Christian character. When we as people recognize what Jesus Christ has done for us, that, that for no reason other than his love for us, he reached out to us and made it possible for us to have a personal relationship with him and with God, 
it begins to cause in us this, this sense of, my goodness, there's so many things he's done for me. The only reaction back is gratitude because I understand what I've received. Let me read you a few verses that come uh, through the scripture. The first one comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. It says, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Paul writing to the church there in Thessalonica saying, in all things give thanks. Don't we find ourselves though sometimes in life, oh, thanks mom, appreciate that. (laughs) Much better. Like I said, somebody's got a cat and you're sitting up front and you're killing me. Thanks, Baxter. Not for the cat, but for fixing the tech, you know. You got to know where the millennials are when the tech goes down. So I'm just saying churches without you guys, they're, they're in real trouble. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5.18, you understand that sometimes bad things are going to happen in your life, right? You understand this part? Okay. Do we do this every week where I have to tell you it's okay to say amen or yeah or no kidding, you know, or look at the person next to you like, yeah, but, but look, bad things are going to happen in your life. It's just part of living. But here, when you understand who you are in Jesus and what he's done for you, and you realize where you could be, and you look around with gratitude at the things that are right, you can say, thank you, God, for the good, and maybe even learn to say, thank you, God, for the challenges, because I'm going to grow as a result of them. Mm. So this is the, hey, thanks. There we go. This is first. The, can millennials do amen too? You guys are rocking today. I'm loving this. Example, uh, Colossians 3.17 reads like this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To the church in Colossae, Paul is saying, let the work of your hands be intentional. Hear us as Americans now, like Americans. What we do, we should do intentionally for Jesus Christ as an attitude from a posture of gratitude and thanks as we do it. God, thank you for the resources that I possess to be able to do this. God, don't let me take for granted the things that I enjoy, whether that be my safety or the ease of transportation or a job that provides for my family or an open and transparent election system. Even if I don't like the way it happens, I thank you, God, that we can do this peacefully. You know, all these things that exist for us to be grateful for, don't take them for granted. And this is what he's saying, at all times be grateful. And then probably the high point as we reach into Hebrews, it says, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips giving thanks to his name. This concept of fruit and sacrifice and praise, really, Paul is drawing on the the Hebrew heritage of the people or whoever wrote Hebrews, we can argue that some other time, whoever wrote Hebrews, what they're doing is they're speaking about understand that your behavior is a fruit. Your behavior is, is the outpouring that identifies who you really are. And that all of those outpourings, all of those demonstrations should be of praise to your God. Remember, um, Cain and Abel, they each came with a sacrifice. They came with an offering. The, the thing that they do, they brought. For Christians who understand what Jesus has done in your heart, this praise ought to just come bursting forth. That's our sacrifice back to God. Thank you. God is good. God is great. Look what you've done for me. So as Paul opens up his letter to the Corinthians, what he's saying is, I am thankful for you, even though the letter has a tone, huh? Paul is definitely admonishing Corinth in this letter. He's admonishing us in a good way, right? Because if you love somebody, you tell them the truth, okay? In, in love, in love, got that part? Okay, so what he's trying to get across to Corinth is, I'm really grateful for you. 
I am glad I have a relationship with you. I'm glad that God gave you the ears to hear and the eyes to see, the heart to grasp, the mind to process the truth of the gospel so that you can be the firstborn. You can be among the brethren of whom Jesus is the firstborn. Thank you, God, for that. And this is where Paul opens it. Has it ever been hard for you to be grateful, though? Have you ever been there? Has it ever been hard in the midst of a situation to say, thanks, God, for uh, air, (laughs) something? And this is kind of how Paul's engaging with the Corinthians. I'm so grateful to God for grace. That's kind of how this starts. And this is what Paul is saying. But he's going to move on to there. And here's where things start to get fun. The second thing we really want to grasp, first of all, the key attribute of a Christian character, always thankful. Second, God gave grace to and thoroughly equipped his church for the mission ahead. Here's how he says it. Uh, I thank God that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Now, last week as we engaged the subject of grace, we talked about definitions, okay? When you use a word, you need to know what it means. Agreed? Okay, so just throwing the word grace out there or really tripping up bad and saying it means God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, That's half a definition of grace. That's a good half, but let's finish the definition. Grace really is unmerited favor given by a more powerful entity to a less powerful one. And the response to grace is faithfulness or loyalty. So grace always has an implication of I didn't deserve it. I couldn't have gotten it myself. I am receiving and therefore I have a responsibility, which is loyalty and faithfulness. That's what grace means. So God's riches at Christ's expense, which you didn't deserve and now calls you to a point of loyalty. That's, that's a definition of grace. So to expand upon that and understand where Paul is getting at in this piece of the passage, because he says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament concept or word that, that we would use here is chesed, and this concept of grace speaks of finding favor in his eyes. And when we talked about that last week, what I wanted you to remember was you didn't do anything to find that favor. God chose to extend favor and to look at you in a favorable light When you didn't earn it, you aren't so great that God looked amongst all of Sturgeon Bay and said, blessed art thou among construction workers. No, he didn't do that. He didn't look down on Mary walking around in in the first century and go, blessed art thou among 13, 14-year-old girls who've really done life brilliantly. No, God chose to extend favor and love to Mary. God chooses to extend favor and intentional grace to you. Why? Because he's God, and that's what he does. Now, who's grateful? Yes, but what do we owe? You see, when I receive something that's unmerited because he looks at us with favor, looks at you with favor, there's a response that follows that. And so when God looked down on Noah, it wasn't because Noah was just this wonderful person walking the face of the earth. No, evidence is to the contrary with some of Noah's behavior, which will show up later because, you know, no matter how many times you, uh, you, you paint the jaguar, eventually the spots come through. You understand what I'm saying? And no matter how how much you want to think of Noah in this epic light, Noah's still a human being and he still fails. And so God extends grace and love as we do to Noah. 
Thanks for the ark. And so as we move into the New Testament, we think about the, the New Testament word there for grace. It's charis, where we would get charity from. And this is one who is in a position of possession, power, influence, resource, extends that to another, not because of what they get back, <clears throat> but because that's what they are supposed to do with it. That is the charity or the charis. And this is this act of, of grace being given as a gift. So we have a gift where you find merit, and the result of that, or the thing that it demands, is loyalty. Don't you hate when you get a tickle in your throat and it will not go away, even, even if your mom brings you water? So bear with me. Last week we also discussed um, the ancient pagan author Seneca as he talked about graces and this thing that Paul is clearly weaving in and Sosthenes is clearly weaving into this is understanding what grace is and what it demands of you. That it's not just a thing that's out there to be thought about, that it's a lifestyle, it's all-encompassing. And as we looked at, at Seneca's concept of graces, we'd, we'd understood that we are people who are, uh, we are receiving grace and we're granting grace and we're returning grace. And so what Seneca was trying to articulate and what Paul is drawing our mind back to uh, is this thing. It's your lifestyle, okay? You've received this grace from God as a gift. You found favor and you've received that. And you're granting grace to others, uh, to people who, who maybe you have more influence or more power or more wealth, more opportunity, uh, more leverage, and you extend that and give that to other people, not for what they can do to you, okay, because that's entrepreneurism, uh, but what you're doing is extending grace, which is true altruism, you're giving and extending to other people, and then what you're now doing is returning to God what is deserved or, or due from grace, which isn't a payback, it's loyalty and faithfulness. And this should constitute how our life is constantly going, receiving, granting, and returning all the time. This is a lifestyle of grace. And the way that plays out for the Christian is exactly what Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthians. Because of who you are, I'm grateful. And because of who you are, you're fully equipped for what God would have you do. And now, as thoroughly equipped for the mission ahead, Corinthian brothers and sisters, let's talk about um, um, how God's equipped you and what that really means. Now, the word equipped, it says uh, they're thoroughly equipped. You heard him say thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're going to encourage that later, uh, a further study of that in Corinthians. But this word is... Um, um, is platizio. Okay, so I'll give you a slide up here. Platizio basically means this, or platizio, depending on how you uh, pronounce, pronounce it. Um, Carissa knows, but she won't tell me, and I've like asked her in the last service, and she wouldn't tell me how to properly. Okay, there we go. Now we know. You have to talk to the people who actually speak Greek. There we go. So in platizo, here's what it means, richly furnished. So here's a question. Have you ever been to somebody's house, okay, and it is perfectly decorated and furnished. You ever been to those places? Okay. This is not my house. If you come to Souther House, the first thing through your mind will be, oh yeah, they have kids. <laughs> uh, but if you go to somebody's house who's really got it together, I mean, just ding, everything is in place, just the right furnishings. You know, you, you sit on a perfectly comfortable couch with matching um, uh, pillows, you know, and you look over to put your drink, and the, oh, there's a coaster right there, and just the right wattage lamp, and, and you look up, and the TV's right there, and it's perfectly centered, and the art is just wonderful, and it smells good, and the, all the colors are right, and the, it's just, it's perfect. You, you ever been to these places? You know, bah, you know okay. but, but if you get, no, I'm just kidding, but richly furnished means everything you need is there. It's all all in its place. It's ship shape and it's ready to go. That's what it means. If you need something, it's at arm's reach. 
and there's nothing lacking. That's richly furnished, okay? So that's platizo. That's what Paul is saying. You, church, you are enriched in him in every way, in all speech and knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. All the pieces are there, brothers and sisters. Paul is grateful because the gospel was confirmed amongst, these are Corinthians, by the way, the gospel is confirmed among you. Then among you are people who have the gifts that are necessary for the church to flourish in your community, for you to have a transforming effect which cultivates the fellowship of believers in your community. You're equipped. You are richly furnished, perfectly furnished with everything that you need, not because you're that great, but because of the grace of God has equipped you that way. So that when the society looks at, at the church, the, the confirmation exists. Let me, let me play that out for you. There are spiritual gifts, and there are what we refer to as common graces. Okay, you know these terms? Those of you coming from the Reformed background, you're ready with this. You got it, old school. You know this. If that's not necessarily your background, let me explain what those things mean. There are spiritual gifts, okay? We see these in Corinthians. We're going to spend weeks on them, okay? And maybe you've taken the 201 course at our church already where you understand what spiritual gifting is. And you understand that, that the Holy Spirit, when you submit to the Lordship of Christ and you, and you acknowledge that in you dwells the Holy Spirit richly and He has given you gifts uh, that are not of yourself but they are of God for you to be able to edify the church and to demonstrate the gospel. Those are called spiritual gifts. But next to that are these things that we refer to as common graces or common gifts, things that you just happen to be good at. Maybe you got it from mom and dad. Maybe you just grew up. Maybe it's what you do as a vocation. But the two of those things together equal thoroughly equipped. Now, what's that look like? Um, I gave an example in the first service, and somebody said, don't ever do that again. So I'll try a different example <laughs> uh, than I did. And I won't tell you what it was, even though it's kind of funny. So here we go. Um, some people just come into this world and they are amazing at being able to uh, put uh, uh, digits and numbers and things together and just, they're like those accountant people and, and actuary, where'd you go, Lee? You people who, you just get it. You're really good at that, you know? I don't even understand you. I don't know how you, balancing a checkbook is like one of those life goals for me, maybe someday, but that's not where I'm gifted. But I know people who are, they're really, really good at it. Some people are just craftsmen. They're phenomenal. And, and women and men who are just able to take stuff and put them together and make beautiful objects, wow, that's really impressive. And, and that's like a craftsmanship. I don't know that that's a spiritual gift, though. You know what I'm saying? I'm married to a musician. Anybody musicians around here? Let me tell you something neat. I'll, I'll brag on Kim for a second. When Kim was a, just a, a little bitty old kid, I think she's like five, six, something like that, five, I think it was, uh, they went to see the movie Annie. Anybody remember Annie? Okay? Th this is just horrible. She goes to the movie Annie. She's never touched an instrument in her life to this point. They come back to the house, and she goes, you know, she's singing, the sun will come out tomorrow, you know, and that's my singing, see why I don't sing in a word, and so they, she goes over to the piano that's in the den, and she says, Mama, can I play the piano, and Mom's like, yeah, sure, just wash your hands, and so Mom and Dad, or her Mom and Dad are in the kitchen, and they're, and they're making dinner, and Kim goes in there, and she's banging on the piano, and here's how her dad tells the story, it sounded like this, ding, 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 dun, 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 and Kim just started playing the piano, to which Carolyn and Bill were looking each other like what just happened in the other room and they walked in the other room they looked at and they're like kim what 
what are you doing? And she said, I'm playing the piano. I'm just playing Annie over here. Who taught you how to play the piano, honey? I don't know. That's a gift, okay? It's wild when, when, when people are just have a gift. Now listen, what would happen if each and every one of us in God's family in this body took stock of what you're good at, how you're gifted, how you're talented? Some of you are wonderful listeners, and you can listen, you can process with people. Some of you have other gifts, spiritual and common graces. And, and these gifts together is how the Holy Spirit is confirmed among His people. When the people of Jesus Christ use those gifts as an act of gratitude, as an act of thanks, as an act of praise back to our God. And in this body, we do all that we do as unto Jesus. In the Corinthian church, everything they needed to evidence the completeness of God's plan and God's family was there. They had the teachers they needed. They had the administrators they needed. They had the servants that they needed. They had the, the encouragers. They had the counselors. They had the craftsmen. They had the doctors, the people that were necessary, the teachers. Whatever. They were there in that congregation so that people could be edified and the congregation should be built. And here's how Paul said it. You were enriched in him in every way every way necessary. But he's going to specify those ways now in a way that's really interesting. Corinth was known for some stuff, okay? Some things Corinth did really well. One of the things they did really well was oration. Everybody wanted to come speak at Corinth. Now, Athens, of course, but they wanted to come speak in Corinth. Why? Because they had fantastic facilities for orators to come. And they would stand, you know, like the sophists and, and, and the others and the philosophers, and they would speak. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people could hear you in these amphitheaters. And these people would pay, you know, for, for hearing the speeches, like you'd pay to go to a movie or a show or whatever. And they would, they would pay, and, and these, these sophists would do really well. These speakers would do really well. But the better a speaker somebody was, the more of a crowd they could draw, and the more of a following they would have, and the more wealthier they might become. And so there's this idea. The other one is knowledge. Knowledge was everything to the ancient Greeks and even to the Romans in this era, uh, this area, excuse me, uh, of, of Peloponnesia and as well as, as in Corinth in particular. Because if you have knowledge and understanding, you can capitalize on it. And when you capitalize on it, you become powerful and influential. And now, as a powerful and influential person, you have wealth and influence and you can extend grace to people as a patron and they'll be faithful back to you. You're starting to see a weave here. See how this has all come together, how Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. If you're with me, just kind of, if I've lost you, every once in a while, go, huh? Uh, but, but here's what's happening in Corinth. <clears throat> they are beginning to understand, as Paul writes, that all these things, the wealth and the knowledge and the influence that make up where you are, you should be grateful for them and find a way to leverage them for kingdom value. You should see these as gifts and graces that equip you as the church to do the work of evangelizing and discipleship. Because the church exists for those two reasons. The church exists to reach the lost and disciple the saved. Huh? Okay, so this is the point in the sermon where I tell you we still like to interact as a church. So the amen or attaboy or that'll do or yeah, any of that stuff. When something's really good, Get in there and own it. Now listen, the work of the church is to reach the lost and disciple the saved. 
Okay, that's what we're here for. And listen, you have a role in that. This church, United States of America, Door County, Sturgeon Bay, Corner 12th in Georgia, cleverly hidden in the neighborhood, we are here equipped to do the work of God's church so that He can be glorified and confirmed among us. That thing that you're good at, we need it. That thing that you got a skill with, we need it here. Because by doing so, it confirms in the community around us that Jesus Christ's people are at work right here and that the life-transforming gospel is true and it's something you want. That's the reason the church exists. It is God's plan A for reaching the lost and discipling the saved. And your gift is a part of that plan. Demosthenes uh, was Demosthenes. He was a great speaker. Matter of fact, he kind of sets the high standard uh, amongst the Greeks of being incredibly good as a speaker. Um, wildly famous celebrity status, um, the old intimidated or imitated but never duplicated. Um, he wins arguments even if he doesn't agree with you because of the fact that he's such a good speaker. Hmm. Are there people in our culture today who are dead wrong, but they're good speakers? Are there philosophies that are dead wrong and opposed to Jesus Christ, but they sound so warm and fuzzy and true? Friends, this church has a responsibility to cultivate truth in our culture so that when people hear a greatly presented argument that's dead wrong, they can go, no, because I know what the truth is, and the truth resides in me already. And I give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ that I possess all truth and knowledge as you would have me understand them, not as culture would have me understand them. Ooh, so now listen. If in this body here today... Now, there was a first service too, okay? So there's another, another couple hundred people around, but listen, listen. If among this body of Sturgeon Bay Community Church... All 600 or so that make up this congregation were faithfully using their gifts and their talents as an act of praise and thanks to God, seeking to reach the lost and disciple the saved. We are richly equipped to do so, thoroughly furnished. What would the impact on Door County be? What would it be? Amazing. Yeah. You know what it'd be? It'd be transformative. And you see, that's the call of the church. It, the call of the church is that the testimony about Jesus Christ is confirmed among you. You eagerly wait for the revelation of Jesus, and in doing so, you're acting out what you know. And the more you do, and the more you honor Jesus, the more you're like Him, the more you begin to understand that He is confirmed in you. And when people see that, they see that Christians actually are a people of peace, and of love, and of grace, and of mutual support, and of altruistic giving and serving other people. Not entrepreneurial so they get something, but an altruism that says, I love you and I extend grace to you, not for what I can get back. But I would hope that by seeing that grace, you would turn your eyes to Jesus Christ and your loyalty to Him and begin to grow in a relationship with Him because of the transforming effect the church has had through her faithfulness. Richly equipped, and demonstrating loyalty and faithfulness in all that we do. You know what that is? You know what that is? It's grace. You know what Paul and Sosthenes did right here? They demonstrated in just a few sentences how the, 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 the Seneca understanding that the Corinthians had 
of what grace is, is a whole lifestyle. It's not just a philosophy. And it's God's plan, not even Seneca's. So us today, we read that, and what we understand is we are strengthened to the end. The, the, the Corinthians here, okay, not because of what they've done. They've been given grace, and in that grace are these gifts and strengths. And they're in you, and they're among you. They're dispensed broadly amongst the body, not because of how good you are or how, how smart you are, how eloquent you are. It's a gift of the Spirit given to you. So the proof of God's hand will edify and encourage and evangelize. And that's the work of the church, to evangelize the lost and to disciple the saved. And you have a role in it. Can I tell you what a fail looks like? Here's a, here, you ready? Here's what a fail looks like. Well, the staff will do it. No, 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 no. We'll just hire more and more and more staff, and they'll, they'll do it. No, no. The staff are here to equip the saints to do the work of the church. When I hear that, you know, Matt comes in and sets up all the tables and all the chairs and makes all the food and prepares all the lessons and does all the slides and does all the managing of the teenagers, I'm going to go, dude, no, fail, zero. You're supposed to be empowering other leaders. You're supposed to be taking teenagers and raising them up and empowering them to be leaders. I'll pick on you for a second. Let's say we take Kaylee Bell right here and we say, Kaylee, I want you to find out what you're great at. Don't you love when you're called out and everybody looks at you all of a sudden? Teenage girls love that. And so, so you look great today. That's why I called you out. So here we go. We're going to say, Kaylee, I happen to know that you have a really gentle spirit. I happen to know that, that you have a lot of energy and you like, you like to do things that people like to do. So I kind of know that about Kaylee. Pretty fair? Pretty fair assessment? I was a youth pastor a long time. I can do this, right? And so what, what I'm going to start thinking, this is, this is how Matt thinks. How can I empower that Christian girl right there. How can I empower her at the prime of her coming into maturity in life as she's looking for purpose? How do I empower her to own that as her identity? She starts to see the grace that she has and puts it into use. You know what that's going to do? It's going to galvanize her and her faith and her purpose here. That's why you run youth ministries, huh? I better get like a lot of amens really fast here. That's why you do youth ministries. Listen, because that's one of those times in life kids are coming out of, out of concrete operations into rational emotive and they're looking for why and what matters and who I am and you capitalize on it right there because for the rest of their life, if you do that well, that kid knows who they are and they give thanks to God because of who God is to them and they serve others out of an act of love because that's who I am and that's what I do. You see, this is what pastors do. They equip the saints for the work of the church. That's a win. You know what makes it easier for pastors to do that? It's when those of you who are the body of Jesus Christ are coming saying, I need to find out how my gifting can have a place in this church. You know what that's going to do? It's going to make Denise Shinver jump up and down and be incredibly happy because, yay, as the connections leader, she's going to find you a place to serve and a thing to do, and that's going to make her really excited. And then that's going to get her motivated to find other people to help them find their thing and what they can do as we seek to transform our community by loving God and loving others, by finding out how God's enriched us and using that to confirm the gospel in our community. That's what the church does. What did Paul just say to Corinth? That sounded incredibly American, didn't it? Let's hear Paul said it. I thank 
my God for you because of the grace God's given to you in Jesus Christ, that you are enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not like any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you'll be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bang. That's the point. But now watch this. This culminates beautifully, and it goes like this. Um, He's called you to a spiritual mission. Okay, so called. Shannon, what do you mean called? It it works like this. Um, Let's pick out somebody, and we're going to have fun with them. They're going to be my example person today. Chuck, I I picked on you last week, so I can't do that. Um, uh, Oh, doggone it. I need a volunteer, I guess. We're going to have to pick out. Okay, Patty, thank you. So here's Patty. Now, here's what I want you to do. Call. Get the word call in your mind. If I say call Patty, somebody tell me what I'm asking you to do. Phoner, okay? Phoner. So, you know, so you're going to call her, right? All right? You're going to... Right? Or just it's flat, right? We don't open it anymore. That's the 80s. <laughs> 90s. Whatever. Leave me alone. So we're, we're going to call... We're going to call... I know. <laughs> Hello, Central? You know, you're going you're gonna to call... <laughs> I hate that I know what that means. Uh, you're going to call Patty. That's a call. What's another way you might call Patty? How's that go? Patty. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks, Ben. So he calls her, but you did two things right there. So you called her and then you did something else. What'd you do? No, let, let Sierra say, you already did half. What, what's, he, what's he doing? Yeah, but you were in the first service. So that's like cheating. <laughs> See, that's like reading the notes, the cliff notes. And then, so it, another way to do it might be Patty or Patty. Okay. Or, or Patty. But what's another way to call? Think about it. Check this out. As we start to look at... No, no not a, Anna, who did that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Somebody's over there with a duck call. Okay. So, <laughs> cat calls? No. no. I'm just trying to get in me too trouble. Here we go. So here, here's where we go. A call might be a summon. Okay, you may get a summon, and that, that's that calling you to. Another one is to receive an ultimate meaning and purpose. That's a calling, right? There's a call on your life. That's another call. How about a salute? You know, uh, I wasn't in the military, but in the police department, this is kind of how it went. If a command staff person walked down the hall, it was expected that you backed up and it said, Lieutenant, as they walked by. It was expected in, in the police department. It was a very militaristic. I understand that, but, but it's Virginia. That's how we roll, right? And so that was expected. So, you know, just, Colonel, uh, you'd step aside and let them go by. Generally, the idea was they're, they're doing stuff, but you don't, you don't go, hey, Bob. No, you say, Colonel. And the reason being, it's, it's a respect, it's an admiration, it's a salute. Another one would be uh, to identify uniquely or name it. And so you may call this that. You've invented it and you've called it something. Like if you're a drug pharmaceutist, you invent a drug and you get it some ridiculous name that sounds really important. Uh, or, or, or you might assign a cognomen, which means a nickname or a surname. Let's watch it happen in Scripture and see if this illuminates. Let's use Matthew. And you shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. She shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. Come on, come on. Okay, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called back and summoned, recalled my son. 
And then Matthew 2.15, he took them and went aside privately to a desert place belonging to the city they called Bethsaida, that was known as Bethsaida. And how about, how about we take a journey through the Old Testament and walk up to this? I'm going to close on these today because I'm out of time. Doggone it. Isaiah 55.5. Those of you with a physical Bible, roll over to Isaiah 55.5. Uh, if you see Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, go left. Um, if you see Proverbs and Psalms, go right. There you go. Isaiah 55, 5. Listen to these words. So you will summon a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you will run to you. For the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you. God's glory has been found in you. You bring Him glory. And why? Because God summoned he summoned, he called. And then Paul in Romans right here in 828, he's going to use that very same wordage. He's talking to these people. Yes, ma'am. Is this the same, these same Greek words? Outstanding question. So in the, in the Hebrew translation, it is a different word. Now, I did not have the paper with me that has the Hebrew word on there. And no surprise, I, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. <laughs> Uh, but the Hebrew and Greek trans, translated or exchanged word from the Septuagint, which is the LXX, is exactly the same word that they translated out of the Greek. I'm sorry, out of the Hebrew into the Greek. And that particular word uh, is what's used by Paul in Romans. But astonishing, really good question. Thank you. Astonishingly, it's the same word used in Genesis. How many of you know where Genesis one one is? Can you get to Genesis one? You can do this. Even those of you who were like, I never did get to Isaiah. You went too fast. Can you, can you get to Genesis 1, the beginning? You got that? The very, the other page is blank. Come on, it's pretty easy to find. You can do this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Roll down to verse 5. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. Now, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, then He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And whom He justified, He also glorified. It sounds astonishingly like what Isaiah just got finished saying. When God calls you, He's identifying you, He's summoning you, He's given you a task and a purpose and an identity. Your new name is Christian. That's who you are. You're not just Jane or Jesse or Bob or Bill or what. You are called as Christian. You are equipped. You're on a mission. And God is going to use you to reach the lost and edify the saved. Because you're a part of his church, his richly blessed church. Hear this verse and hear it loud and clear. As Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, verse 9 says this. God is faithful and you are called. God is faithful. He's going to demonstrate all the characteristics of grace and faithfulness for you. And you are called to respond to that. As a recipient of that grace and faithfulness, you demonstrate it back. Do you see the brilliance of Paul and Sosthenes as authors right here? Folks, we're only nine verses in. You could write books on this. People have. It's astonishing the depth of what's here. What God has asked of you and how we respond.
we are thankfully complete in Jesus Christ to do the work that he's called us to do. I told you today, we're going to look at three things, and we're going to respond to those. But now let's hear how they sound in 21st century English, the challenge to the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America. It sounds like this. And by the way, worship team, this would be a good time to be making your way back up as we do this. (coughs) Thankfulness must be more and more a part of your speech. Indeed, it should be something you are known for. Finding what God has done among and around you and returning to Him gratitude is a form of worship and faithfulness. That is our call, worship and faithfulness. Number two, God gave grace to you both in your salvation and in your gifting. Both are 100% His doing. Exercise your freedom and skill with His purpose in mind. And finally, American church, Jesus has summoned you to a spiritual mission identifying you as his plan A for the cultivation of fellowship in the culture. 